rambling about a country nearly uninhabited, having lost my way, and being overtaken by a shower, I had lighted upon this dreary-looking tenement, which seemed to rock in the blast, and to be hung up there as the very symbol of desolation. I was gazing wistfully and cursing inwardly my stars, which led me to a ruin that could afford no shelter, though the storm began to pelt more seriously than before, when I saw an old woman's head, popped out from a kind of loophole, and as suddenly withdrawn. A minute after, a feminine voice called to me from within, and penetrating a little brambly maze that screened a door, which I had not before observed, so skillfully had the planter succeeded in concealing art with nature, I found the good dame standing on the threshold and inviting me to take refuge within. "'I had just come up from our cot hard by,' she said, "'to look after the things, as I do every day, when the rain came on. "'Will ye walk up till it is over?' I was about to observe that the cot hard by, at the venture of a few raindrops, was better than a ruined tower, and to ask my kind hostess whether the things were pigeons or crows that she was come to look after, when the matting of the floor and the carpeting of the staircase struck my eye. I was still more surprised when I saw the room above, and beyond all, the picture, and its singular inscription, naming her invisible whom the painter had colored forth into very agreeable visibility, awakened my most lively curiosity. The result of this, of my exceeding politeness towards the old woman and her own natural garrulity, was a kind of garbled narrative which my imagination eked out and future inquiries rectified till it assumed the following form. Some years before, in the afternoon of a September day, which, though tolerably fair, gave many tokens of a tempestuous evening, a gentleman arrived at a little coast town about ten miles from this place. He expressed his desire to hire a boat to carry him to the town of about fifteen miles further on the coast. The menaces which the sky held forth made the fisherman loath to venture, till at length, too, one the father of a numerous family, bribed by the bountiful reward the stranger promised, the other the son of my hostess, induced by youthful daring, agreed to undertake the voyage. The wind was fair, and they hoped to make a good way before nightfall, and to get into port, ere the rising of the storm. They pushed off with good cheer, at least the fishermen did, as for the stranger, the deep mourning which he wore was not half so black as the melancholy that wrapped his mind. He looked as if he had never smiled, as if some unutterable thought, dark as night and bitter as death, had built its nest within his bosom, and brooded therein eternally. He did not mention his name, but one of the villagers recognized him as Henry Vernon, the son of a baronet, who possessed a mansion about three miles distant from the town for which he was bound. This mansion was almost abandoned by the family, but Henry had, in a romantic fit, visited it about three years before, and Sir Peter had been down there during the previous spring, for about a couple of months. The boat did not make so much way as was expected. The breeze failed them as they got out to sea, and they were fain with oar as well as sail, 
to try to weather the promontory that jutted out between them and the spot they desired to reach. They were yet far distant when the shifting wind began to exert its strength and to blow with violent though unequal puffs. Night came on pitchy dark, and the howling waves rose and broke with frightful violence, menacing to overwhelm the tiny bark that dared resist their fury. They were forced to lower every sail and to take to their oars. One man was obliged to bail out the water, and Vernon himself took an oar, and rowing with desperate energy equaled the force of the more practiced boatmen. 